Today is the final session on the book of Thessalonians. Final session, yes. We are concluding the book of uh, Thessalonians, all right? And uh, I don't know uh, when, when we started it, uh, but it's been quite a while. All right, Thessalonians is on a people of hope. A people of hope, all right? And uh, we have talked about faith, hope, and love. Thessalonians 1, 1 to 3. And then Thessalonians, no, First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 1, 4 to 10, we talk about a contagious hope. And verse 5 to verse 8 of chapter 1, contagious Christians. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 to 16, not a failure. And then chapter 2, verse 17 to 20, it talks about a community of hope. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 13, triumph over trials and temptations. Chapter 4, verse 1 to 12, more and more. We want more from the Lord. And in the last two sessions, in chapter 4, verse 13 to 18, we talk about the blessed hope. And then the last session, we talk about the day of the Lord from chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 11. And so today, we will just look at the remaining Passage in chapter 5. Shall we stand together for the reading of God's word? I hope you have been blessed with the book of Thessalonians. I have been, all right, in all my preparation and all that, it has really, really uh, blessed me. And uh, especially things to do with the uh, end times, uh, 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 the blessed hope and the day of the Lord. All right, shall we read together verse 12 to verse 28? And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their word's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench your spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with the holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. This is Paul's concluding words. And admittedly, this is one of the most difficult passages to preach on in the sense that it's very hard to find one clear theme from the Apostle Paul. And you are wondering, I mean, there's so many things inside here. Unlike the other passages, you know, you find that, well, it's, it's clear cut that he's emphasizing on this, 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 and that's why, you know, in that sense, he's yeah, able to uh, encapsulate everything. But when you read this passage of scripture, man, he's, he's just like some of us, you know, we talk north, north, talk south, talk east, talk west, you know, uh, everything is inside. It seems like it's a, it's a whole mixture of admonition, exhortations, and uh, it gives us the feeling that Paul, at the closing of his epistle, is almost like he's writing out of he's running out of parchment already. It's just that like when you are writing, at first you write, you know, okay, very clearly uh, and big words and all that. But then you realize that hey, you got still so many things to say, and you are running out of paper already. So you just write in very short form, all right, and uh, uh, hoping to contain everything. In the modern day. It is almost like Paul here is just tweeting only. He is tweeting. 
Alright, of course, in Paul's days, there were no tweeters, alright? The only thing that tweets are the birds. And nowadays, human beings tweet as well. And uh, tweeting, something good about tweeting is you are limited to a certain number of characters only. How many characters now? They tell me it's about 140 characters. That means you cannot say long, long things. Everything must be brief, must be summarized, concise, right to the point. And it seems that Paul is just tweeting here, you know, and he's saying so many things here, putting everything inside. And I, I have struggled with this passage of Scripture to just uh, 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 discover that theme. And uh, yesterday afternoon, you know, even up to about 12 o'clock uh, 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 after the wedding here, you know, uh, I was still working on this and, uh, you know, there were so many things I wanted to preach on. I thought of preaching on 17 things Christians should be and do. How many of you, of you are ready to listen to 17 things, all right? I think after the third point, you say, Pastor, sorry, like, I'm out of here already, <laughs> all right? But there are so many things that Paul is writing, and I still cannot find that kind of a strain there or, or that kind of a, 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 a line of thought there, you know? And uh, Paul just covers almost everything. And then, I remember something. And uh, you remember... Stephen Covey, we talk about the seven habits of highly effective people. And there are others, other Christian authors who also wrote along the same regard and call it the, habits, the seven habits of highly effective Christians. And lo and behold, today, today this morning, I'd like to talk about and share with you in the closing passage of First Thessalonians, the seven habits of end-time Christians. End-time Christians. What are the seven habits of end-time Christians? Not just any Christians. Because Paul has been talking about the end times. Paul has been talking about the second coming of the Lord, about the blessed hope, about the day of the Lord. And in every chapter, in every one of the five chapters of 1 Thessalonians, he ends with a reference to the coming of the Lord. In other words, he's been thinking, he's been writing within that context that the Lord is coming soon. And even at the end of this chapter, chapter 5, he talks about that you will be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's still talking about the second coming, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sure what he wrote to us is not just to tickle our ears, to give us the facts only. The fact is one plus one equals to two. But how does that change your life? The fact is Jesus Christ is coming soon. But how does that affect and change your life? I think Paul is more interested in the transforming effect of the soon return of our Lord rather than the fact that Jesus Christ is coming. What difference does it make in the way that we live, in the way that we interact with one another right now? And so let's look, let's consider the seven habits of end-time Christians even as we live in the light of the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And each of these seven habits will take a session in itself, all right? But I have to summarize everything very briefly within about 30 to 40 minutes. Let's try. Habit number one is they serve diligently. End time, Christians serve diligently. First Thessalonians 5.12, Now we ask you brothers to respect those who work hard. Everybody say, work hard. There are those people who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. It's very easy to fall into two camps when you talk about the return of our Lord. One came and it happened to the Thessalonian Christians. Oh, Jesus Christ is coming soon. So therefore, let's all quit our work. Let's stop working. 
Let's just wait for him to come back. Perhaps some would even go up to the mountain and do nothing but just wait for the return of the Lord. That's why Paul later says, do not be idle. Those who are idle warn those who are idle because that was happening. The other extreme is, well, Jesus, and, uh, Paul taught us that Jesus Christ is coming back, coming back soon, but he has no return. So let's take it easy. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. Paul says, no, in the light of the return of the Lord, we must work even harder, labor hard. And there are already those people who are laboring hard. Who are these people? These are not just pastors. I, I, I do believe that these are not just pastors. All right? And these are not just elders in the church, but people in the church. Because Paul here is writing to the brethren. That means the whole congregation. There are people in the church who have worked hard and are continuing to work hard for the name of the Lord. And look at these kind of people. Who are they? There are people, Paul says, who work hard among you. Not just by position, not just authoritatively. There are those people who are among you and there are those people who are over you. And even those people who are over you are among you. In other words, these people have a servant's heart. It is very easy to just be over people. But the kind of leaders that Paul is talking is those people who are among you, who eat with you, who serve alongside you, who are not just armchair Christians, who are not just sitting on the throne, you know, dishing out commandments and let others do the job. They themselves do the job. And thank God for all these people who serve God diligently. All the more when we see the day of the Lord is coming soon, we must even serve the Lord more diligently. And this church can only carry on because they are diligent servants of the Lord. I always thank the Lord for pastors. They handle all kinds of situations. This week itself, there were funerals from one, they jumped from funeral to, to wedding, from wedding to parties and celebration, and, and they are in all kinds of situations. But again, here it's not just the pastors, it's, it's, it's the admin people who prepare so, so many things in advance for a service like this. And there are people, you know, the cell, cell leaders, the zone leaders, ministries, even from the ushers to the traffic controllers, they serve God diligently. Thank God for each and every one of you. Come on, let's give them all a big hand. Let's give yourself a big hand as well. And habit number one is we must serve God diligently. Romans chapter 12, verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. All the more as we see Him coming. And for all these people who serve the Lord, Paul has something else to add. Until Jesus comes, esteem these people highly. Respect spiritual authority. Esteem them very highly. How? In love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. Do you appreciate? Cell, cell members, do you appreciate your cell leader or not? Amen. Have you ever said something to them? Have you ever spoken to them and expressed to them? Or is it just all in your heart only? Come on, if you really esteem them and appreciate them, say it out to them. All right, we are all human beings. Sometimes just a, 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 an appreciative word from the cell, the cell members will, will lift up the spirit of the cell leader. Otherwise, the cell leader may be thinking, I've been serving, serving 10 years, huh? running, you know, and, and, and supporting the members, and I don't know whether they appreciate me or not. Nobody has said it. Now, no, we don't have that kind of problem in our church, right? Our church all esteem the leaders very highly. They constantly show appreciation to the pastors, all right, to the leaders, to the Sunday school teacher who have put in so many hours in training and in teaching your children, you know, to, and, and to, to all kinds of people who are serving. 
I know we are not like that church that I read about. The pastor got sick, was hospitalized. And after a few days, the church secretary visited him and made an announcement, Pastor, I would like to know, I would like you to know that in your absence, when you are in the hospital, the members of the board have taken a vote. And the vote is 12-4 and 7 against to pray for your recovery. <laughs> That's just a joke, all right? Some of you caught it. But rather, we are always appreciative of people, amen? Appreciate everybody who serves. Everybody, all right? And uh, highly in love for their work's sake. Recognize that they are serving the Lord. And also be at peace among yourselves. Sometimes in serving God, you know, we can be battling against each other. We can be fighting against each other. Oh, this is my department. You know, this is, this is my turf. Don't come in, you know. Oh, we are so protective. Or, or we, are, we are not happy with what somebody else is doing. And, and, and instead of serving God, all right, and esteeming one another even better than ourselves, we become, you know, uh, uh, warring factions in the church. That's why I think Paul says, be at peace among yourselves. Now, sometimes serving God, you know, although it's a spiritual thing, it's supposed to be a spiritual thing, but a lot of human elements can come in. They cause us to be unhappy, fighting against each other. And the enemy, we want to do that. Or that bring in divisions in the church. A great event for the glory of the Lord can instead falter because of these human elements and, 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 and infightings. People are not happy with this. A you know, certain group are not happy with that. You know, and uh, we can be, uh, we can, all, everybody serving the Lord and yet can be a very unhappy Lord because certain people are not happy with certain things. Paul says to all these people, what? Be at peace among yourselves. We are all serving the Lord. Everybody have the good intention too. Everybody have one main, main, main motive to serve the Lord. So let's be at peace among ourselves and esteem God's leaders. Somebody say amen. And also warn those who are unruly. There may be those who are unruly. Now the word unruly in some version is uh, translated as idle. And some people, now the unruly, unruly here are basically those who get out of line. All right, they are just they are they, they just go off on their own tangent. It's it's a military term actually. It's soldiers are supposed to be in their position, but there are some people who just go out and do their own thing, you know. And they are they are uh, absent, all right. And uh, I, and so you know, say hey, warn these people in love, bring them back to the common uh, purpose of serving the Lord. You know, diligently. And there, there will be some, sometimes those kind of things that happen, you know. And so if leaders, all right, you know, uh, 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 talk to you about certain things, all right, and say, hey, you know, you, know, you, you, you are just drifting off, you know. So do not get upset about it. It is just like, you know, you and your friends are going out and, and your friend is ahead of you and you are behind, you know, and, and it's dark at night. And suddenly, you know, you see your friend's car, you know, begin to serve left and right, left and right. And you think maybe, maybe he's dozing off already. What do you do? You just let him be like that? No, you will flash the light, you will haunt your car, you will call on the cell phone to wake him up, or you may even try to overtake him. You cannot allow him to be drifting in that manner. It's dangerous for his soul. And that's the idea here. Paul says, you know, there, there are sometimes these kind of things happen, all right? They, they, they begin to want to have their own things. He says, warn those who are unruly. So you find that they serve diligently, habit number one. And not only that, they also encourage and help others, all right? In serving God, these are the areas that we are serving the Lord. It is not just by position. You find that in serving God, you find that Paul is dealing with people, that's what serving God is really, dealing with people and relationship with people and helping people. That's our main role really. All right, that's our main JD. Job description is always to do with people. So Paul says, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. 
Yes, we need a lot of encouragement. There are a lot of people who are discouraged. The faint-hearted here are those who are timid. In other version, it says timid. That means they are on the point of giving up already. They are on the verge of giving up. Life has been difficult for them. They just want to call it quits already. Paul says, come on, stand alongside these people. You know, uphold them, lift them up. Don't. Tear them down, but lift them up. That's what the world and the family of God needs. And uphold the weak. The weak here are not those who are mentally weak, all right? Something wrong with them? No, no, no. The, the weak here, are usually when the Bible talks about weak, are those who are weak in faith. You see, there are those who are weak in faith. Go and help them. You know, disciple them. You know, give them foundations. They may be doubting about the Christian faith. Come on, stand alongside them. Uphold the weak or support the weak. I like the word support. Support the weak. The weak needs some kind of support. You find those people who are physically weak. What do you do? You come you know, and you, you put your hand uh, around your shoulder. You support them. You walk along with them. And be patient with all. So we are the... Habit number one, serving God. We are always encouraging and helping others. That's what Paul has said in verse 11. And now, verse 12, 13, 14, he continues to emphasize that. That's the main thing. All right, in the midst of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to encourage each other and build each other up. Ask the neighbor, how can I help you? You say, hey, pastor, dangerous question, huh? But I wish that all of us can have a cut and go around. How can I help? Encourage, uphold, support the weak. We need that in the body of Christ. Habit number two, they pursue what is good. Verse 15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. We need to cultivate this habit as well. When Paul says, no one renders evil for evil, in other words, don't retaliate. Don't retaliate in life. You know, we are always wanting to hit back at those who hit us. Oh, you do bad to me, I do bad to you. I, even worse. And that's how life is. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And very soon, the whole world will be toothless and blind. But Paul says, no, if people have wronged you, don't exact revenge. Don't even think about revenge. But rather be kind towards those who have wronged you. Now, that's a tall order. That's a tall order. It's like what Jesus says, turn the other cheek. It's difficult. And somebody have done bad or evil to us. The human instinct is to fight back, retaliate, revenge. That's why the movie industry thrives because of the revenge theme, especially Chinese movie. You kill my master, I am going out for you. You, know? you, know? you kill my dad, you know? I'm coming for you. Revenge. Now, it doesn't mean that we just become a simpleton and let everybody tread on us. But what Paul is saying is something inside of us. Don't have anything negative inside. Evil. Don't even think about negative thoughts towards others, but pursue what is good. What is good for them. And when you seek out what is good for them, it will bounce back to you and it will be good for you as well. Never harbor any hard feelings towards anybody. Otherwise, it is going to be like an ulcer. It's going to eat up your whole system. It affects you mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Always have a clean slate in your heart, in your spirit. Never think evil of others. Give others the benefit of the doubt even. 
Pursue what is good, the good stuff. In some other version, it says, seek out the best in others. Seek out the best in others. I think that's very rare for us. We always seek out the worst in others, isn't it? You got a lovely wife, you got a wonderful husband, and yet you ch 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 I mean, what are you? What are we talking about here? Look out for the best in the person. Bring out the best in the person. I have to admit that most of us we look for the bad in others. When we gather together, oh, we seldom talk about the good of others. We always talk about the bad of others, isn't it? That's what. That's why gossip is so juicy. Oh, you just love it. The more gossip there is, oh, you just love it. You strive it over it. Talk bad about others. Hey, hey nothing. I'm better. But Paul says, seek the best in others. And then, it will reflect back to you. So, habit number two is, they pursue what is good. And habit number three, they have positive attitudes. Everybody say positive attitudes. I would classify verse 16 to verse 18 as attitudes. And highly effective end-time Christians, they have positive attitudes. The first is always be joyful. Or in all things, be joyful. Now, joy is not just a feeling. You feel happy and all that. But joy is rather an attitude inside you. It comes from within you. It's an attitude that you have cultivated. It is a habit already. It's not just a response to a situation. Oh, something good happened, so you feel joyful. No. It is already a habit. A habit is something that has been uh, uh, established in your heart already through constant practice. So it is an attitude. It is not just a feeling. And the thing about Paul, he says, always, everybody says, always. Always be joyful. Again here, this is, seems like a tall order. But if it is already an attitude, this is supposed to be our attitude, then it is possible to always be joyful. I think in the King James Version, the word that's used is rejoice evermore. In other version, in all things, be joyful or always be joyful. Now, which is the shortest verse in the Bible? Yeah, some of you know the Bible. It's in John, where the Bible says, Jesus wept. Two words in the English language. Two words. But in the Greek, it's actually three words. Jesus' web in the Greek is actually three words consisting of 16 letters. But in the Greek, this verse here is actually only two words. Rejoice evermore. Only two words consisting of 14 letters. So therefore, the shortest verse in the Bible is actually rejoice Evermore or rejoice always in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. This is the shortest verse in the Bible, at least in the Greek. And God wants us to rejoice. Is it possible to rejoice always <clears throat> in all things, no matter what the circumstances? <clears throat> It is possible because God Himself is a source of all joy. Joy unspeakable, Peter talks about joy unspeakable, full of glory. 
And when you have known the Lord and the joy that He gives us, no matter what happens in your life, you will know how to rejoice. In your heart, you are rejoicing, even though you experience some negative and bad things in your life. It will not cripple you because you have learned how to rejoice evermore. And you know, those people who have known the joy of the Lord, they are so pleasant to be with, isn't it? I mean, you look at them, wow, something bad happened and they are still smiling. And it is not just, out, it is not just outward, but inside, they know a joy that the devil cannot steal away. They rejoice in their heart. They are not controlled by their circumstances. And this is the attitude of the end-time Christians. They see the world heading towards the pit, towards Armageddon. They may be persecuted. And they know hard days, hard times will come in, in the end times. And yet, the devil cannot steal away the joy that is in their heart. Jesus says, this is the joy that I'm giving to you. It is a kingdom attitude. It is a choice. You choose to rejoice or to succumb under negative circumstances. It is a choice, really. There are people who constantly, something bad happened, they blame this, blame that, complain to God, and, and all kinds of things, but they have never really learned the joy of the Lord. I pray that you will experience the joy of God and have this kingdom attitude in you. Joy is mentioned 158 times in the Bible. 158 times. And the word rejoice happened, is, uh, uh, happens 198 times in the Bible. 158 and 198, you combine that together, the Bible have a lot to say about joy. Joy or rejoicing. Nowadays, they ask for a lot of password and icon in whatever account that you have or, or, or email and all those things. And one of my icons is just rejoice. I like that word, rejoice. Turn to your neighbor and say, rejoice. Rejoice. Hallelujah. Whether it's raining or the sun is out. Come on, church. Let's rejoice. This is the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah got it right there. Positive attitude. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And the second attitude is that of praying continually. This is a positive attitude. And again, this is an attitude. It is not an act. I pray. At such and such a time, that is an action. But it is an attitude that we carry through in life. It is already established in our heart. Otherwise, you cannot pray continually. You may wake up at 6 o'clock and pray. That's an act. 6 o'clock or 8 o'clock or whatever time it is. And never stop praying. Now, is it possible for anyone to never stop praying? Must you always go around, you know, you know uh, in your waking moments, always praying like that in the tongues or in the spirit and all those things? It's impossible. You may be able to do it quietly for a while and all that, but when the Bible says never stop praying, it is an attitude. It is a constant awareness of the presence of God. It is connecting with God continually. There are two kinds of praying. One is at a set hour, and the Bible does have a place for it. Jesus constantly set time apart. But when you talk about praying continually, never stop praying, it is an awareness, it is an attitude already. It is almost like Wi-Fi. All right? 
For Wi-Fi to work, you find that there are certain areas that don't have Wi-Fi, certain areas Wi-Fi is strong. When you go on missions country, you know, sometimes, you know, you see some of the locals, they stand up on the chair or they go to a certain spot. Huh? That's the only one that can catch Wi-Fi there. You know, yeah, certain other spot, you, there's no connection. But then, on the other hand, there is, uh, what do you call this? Data connection, data line or whatever it is. That's not dependent on the Wi-Fi. That means uh, it's connected all the time. Some IT people help me. I don't know what they call that. It's called uh, what? Roaming? Is it roaming? Data? The debt, you got the data plan and all that. Whether you got Wi-Fi or not, you know that it's, you are still connected. Ah, this is praying continually. You are always connected with God. Not through Wi-Fi, but through this, whatever you call it, data or, or roaming or what it is. And God wants us to have that kind of uh, awareness of His, of His presence. That your spirit is always communicating with God's spirit. And it is beautiful. And, and that's what it is supposed to be. You keep on praying. In that sense, your spirit is in touch with the spirit of God. And you are aware of the presence of God. Even though you may be silent. And yet, you know that you are connected with God continually. Not on a Wi-Fi connection. But always connected with God. And that's the beauty of praying. The third attitude is that of in everything, give thanks. You have to give thanks in everything. And that's a very, very positive attitude of end-time Christians. In everything, give thanks. Or in all circumstances, we have to be thankful. But society, the society that we are in are basically not very thankful. And Jesus struck that chord when he ministered to that one leper, or to ten lepers, actually. And only one of them came back and said, thank you, Lord. Just 10%. If you go by that story, only 10% of the people are thankful. They never learn how to come back to God and be thankful. In every circumstances, we are to be thankful. Or, as we say, in everything give thanks. The word used here is in everything, not necessarily for everything. If somebody has a cancer, you don't have to thank God for cancer. But in that situation, even though you are struck with cancer, you can still thank the Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are still in control. I may not understand everything, but in this situation, I will still thank you. Somebody say amen. When business has failed, when people have let you down, when nothing seems to work out in your life, you don't have to thank God for all those things, but in those situations, you can still thank the Lord. So be thankful in all circumstances. Is your thankful? Are you thankful? Every time you look at the gauge meter in your car, remember, be thankful. Hallelujah. Let it be full all the time. Amen. Praise the Lord. Even then, when that meter gauge goes towards E and you are running out of money and don't have money to, and, uh, and it's the 31st of the month already and you heard that tomorrow petrol price is going to increase. Lord, I thank you that I still have a car. Hallelujah. In every situation. In fact, you know, we can look for things to be thankful for in every situ situation. So these are the three added positive attitudes. They have the, this habit 
of the end-time Christian. Having that positive attitude, they are joyful. They, they are joyful always. They pray continually and they give thanks in all circumstances. Do that. Do that and practice that in your life. And you'll find, wow, everything just begins to change. Your relationship, you know, turns positive. Things will begin to come into your life that you never thought possible. God will work through all of these situations for you. For this is, the, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. All right? To be joyful always, this is God's will for you. To pray continually, this is God's will for you. To give thanks in every situation, this is God's will for you. How many of you want to do the will of God? Amen? And this is God's will. You don't have to look far and wide already. When you are able to cultivate these characteristics or these attitudes in you. Habit number four, they live by the Spirit. Verse 19, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Verse 19 to verse 21. End time Christians are filled with the Spirit. That's the only way to live. They are on fire for God. Look at the different versions. One version says, don't hold back the work of the Holy Spirit. Even in the end times, the Holy Spirit is actively at work. Don't hold back, don't restrict Him, let Him have the full reign. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench, there is water. The Spirit, there is fire. And many times when God wants to do something in our midst, we cover ourselves with a wet blanket. When there is a great idea, God-inspired idea for your life, for your church, instead of embracing it, we pour cold water on it. And in that way, restrict the work of the Holy Spirit. Another version says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. I think that is the most common one. It is the Spirit's fire. The Holy Spirit is presented here as that with a symbol of the fire. It happens in the book of Acts. It happens in a lot of places. The Holy Spirit is like a fire in our heart, in our belly. And in this end time, end time Christians, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Are you still on fire for God? Remember that time when the Holy Spirit filled you? Or maybe you are not filled with the Holy Spirit yet and you find that your Christian life is a struggle. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit rouse you up and, 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 and motivate you to action and rouse you to life. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. In fact, in the last days, the Holy Spirit will work even more actively more aggressively than ever before because the time is short. Revival will continue to break out, although in the last days, the Bible talks about that is going to be a falling away. The great apostasy will happen. People's heart will grow cold. And the only remedy is the fire of the Holy Spirit to fire up the church, to fire up the Christians once again. Oh, constantly see the presence, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues. And when the Holy Spirit leads you to do something, do not put out the Spirit's fire. It has happened to me sometimes, you know, when I, was, I felt led to do something, but for some reason I did not, and sure enough, later on I kind of regretted, why didn't I follow it I know that constantly we may struggle with it. Is that me, Lord, or is it, is it you? We have to discern the work of the Holy Spirit. And He is in operation. He is at work in our lives. The fire of the Holy Spirit puts life into us. That's the key. 
to our growth. That's a key to our success. Whether, whether you are working in the, in the marketplace or whether you are, uh, you are serving the Lord in the church and in the ministry, whatever it is, the fire of the Holy Spirit is the one. That's the thing that puts life into us. Otherwise, all right, it's just drudgery. It's all just routine. But when the fire falls, I tell you, it's powerful. There will be great passion. Paul continues to say, test everything, hold on to the good, reject every kind of evil. I believe that he's still talking about the Holy Spirit. You have to test everything. Not everything that people claim to be of the Holy Spirit is of the Spirit. You do not reject, you do not despise prophecies, but you check out the prophecy. You test everything. Nowadays, you know, you know, people are so gullible. So gullible. And especially Christians, we are even more gullible. In the age of internet, you have to check out your source. Somebody sends something, oh wow, true. Huh? And you know, there's the person says, you must send it to everybody. So you send it to everybody. Later you discover, don't know. Don't know the source. You know, and it's all false news and all that. Test everything. Especially when it comes to the Christian faith. Hold on to the good, reject the evil. All right, you don't throw out everything, of course. You have to test out everything. That which is of the Spirit, that which is good, you keep and you follow. So don't believe everything you hear. Test it for scriptural validity first. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. In the last days, there will be many more false prophets out there. We do not throw out the baby with above water, but we test what is real and what is good. And end-time believers must do that. Habit number five, they rely on God. Now, the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord. We're talking about one big word here, sanctify. Don't be scared of that word. It is all, it is a, it's just a word that means a complete makeover by God. It is a work of God, all right? It says here, may the God of peace himself. Sanctification is not just I trying to pull myself up by my shoelaces, I just trying to have an improved version of myself and still do not have, but, but have not had that experience with God. But sanctification is a work of God. And He wants us to be whole. Everybody say whole. He wants us to be complete. God's work is so complete in us. He doesn't do just one part of us. All right, He, he sanctified us. I think another version of the Bible says He sanctifies us true and true. That's a powerful word. True and true. Inside, outside. Everything. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. When you are a believer, you find that the work has already started. Now I'm going to throw out three big words to you all. Don't be scared by these big words. The first word is justification. Everybody say justification. That means when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, justification happened. You are saved from the penalty of sin. All your sins and all of the penalties of sin is forgiven. It is covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what justification is. The second word which we are talking about today is sanctification. We have been saved from the power of sin. Right now, the Holy Spirit you know, continues to sanctify us, make us pure before the Lord. And it is not an instantaneous act. Again, there are some Christian teachings that say, hey, you know, God has saved us, He has washed us, we are saved from past sins, uh, present sin, and future sin even. We are saved even from future sin. That means we cannot sin anymore. Now, that teaching doesn't come from the Bible. Alright? Now, we are being saved from the power of sin. That means there is sanctification work. It is not a one-time act, but it is a process. 
It is gradual. It is happening right now. All right? And we are being saved from the power of sin as we rely upon God. The third word is glorification. We will be saved from the presence of sin. That means we will be glorified. You're right. When we have the glorified body, resurrected body of our Lord Jesus Christ at the rapture, that will be glorification. There's something in the future. So these three big words here, but sanctification is the work of God. And notice that Paul says, may the God of peace sanctify you wholly. That means completely. Here we have the spirit, the soul, and the body. And look at what Paul says. Which one comes first? Which one comes first? May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, body. To him, spirit is in that order. Spirit, soul, body. For us, many times we say what? Body, soul, spirit. For us, body is the most important thing. You know, we are, you know, we are make up of body, soul, and spirit. But Paul says, spirit, soul, body. So when your spirit is right, you'll be holy before God. When your soul is right, you are happy and joyful. I don't want to use the word happy, but well, all starts with H, so I have to use happy. Joyful is J, so it doesn't rhyme. So, but you know we are talking about joy. But when your body is right, you are healthy. So in our sanctification, God wants you to be holy, happy, Healthy. That is complete. Uh, so everything is covered. The tripartite of our human uh, nature. All right, uh, you know, so our spirit, soul, and body. And it is the work of God. It is wonderful. You just let Him do it. You cultivate this habit. You rely on God. You trust in Him. Right, may the God of peace do that work. So, so do, don't give up on somebody who is work in progress. Huh? You Christian like that, huh? you know, a young Christian become a believer and still do some of those things. Come on. No, give the no, sanctification is work in progress. Don't give up on anybody as yet. Of course, improvement, all right, and our growth must be evident to all. But God has his way of working in each one of us. And so Paul says, faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. God is faithful, amen? God is faithful even in sanctifying his people, in preserving his people, in preparing the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ so that when he comes, the bride will be in need without spot, without wrinkle. Habit number six, they read and obey God's word. Yes, end time Christians. We need to read and obey God's word. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Wow, this is powerful from Paul. In other words, he is placing his letter on equal level and status even with the Old Testament. Not just a letter of 1 Thessalonians. It just be read in all the churches. I think just recently we read in our devotional on First and Second Thessalonians already, right? You have you read that? If you have, then you have fulfilled Paul's word. Read and obey God's word. Be obedient to the word of the Lord. It is the word of the Lord, you know, that will sanctify us also besides the Spirit. It is the word by the word of the Lord that we are able to discern what is good and what is evil. The word of the Lord is 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 is. It's just like a refreshing dew. The word of the Lord is a light. The word of the Lord is a lamp to our feet. We know all of these things, but are we reading the word of God? In our devotional plan, it's only two chapters a day. Last time, I think there may be four or five chapters a day. Some of you find it, you so hard, uh, very, very busy, no time. Got time, got, got time for Korean opera and series and all that, but no time for the word of the Lord. It's a matter of passion and what you're hungry for. But you want to be blessed, you want to be strong, you want to grow as a Christian, end time Christian, obey. Read and obey God's word. 
Read it often, study it always, obey it faithfully. I mean, we have the ESOM classes, some of the best classes, some of the best teachers we have. And yet some of you are, some of you are not availing yourself to read. I tell you, we have the best in the church already. No other church offer that kind even of uh, 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 availability for members to grow in the word of the Lord. And we have covered so many, you know, books of the Bible. If you have been following it, following even our Esom itself, I tell you, I, I believe that you would have grown by leaps and bounds already. Even if you are just a one-year-old Christian, you would have grown much faster than a 10-year-old Christian who never bother about reading and studying God's Word. But it must be a habit. A habit. Not, on, not if I have time for it now. It's a habit for you to read the Word of God. For you to obey the Word of God. And lastly, habit number seven, they love the brethren. End time Christians love the brethren. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with the holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Just in these few verses, the, the word brethren appears three times already. That's how Paul views the Christian community. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Now, who are the brethren? These are not the gospel hall people. Huh? Although the gospel hall people, another word for it, the brethren. But the brethren is a very powerful word. In some of the translations, it's translated as brothers or brothers and sisters. So the word brethren is brothers and sisters. In other words, we are the, in the family of God. We love the family of God and the church is a family. Somebody say amen. The church is a family. We are a family. Paul uses the word brethren over 60 times. In First and Second Thessalonians, he uses it 27 times. And in this passage of scripture, he already uses it five times. There are many other references in the scripture. 1 Peter 3.8 in the Living Bible. You should be like one big happy family. Hallelujah. Full of sympathy toward one another. Loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. Galatians 6.10 calls us the family of believers. Hebrews 2.11, we are of the same family. 1 Peter 4.17, we are the family of God. Then your neighbor, I say, I appreciate you, my brother, my sister. You are my family. I don't know what I'll do without you. Amen, amen. Come on, mean it, man. I, when I see you, I'm so happy to be in the family of God here. I see each one of you. You know, like my mother, my father, my brother, my sister. We are all in the family of God. Each time I look forward to seeing you all on Sunday and on, and on other services because of all this great family of God. You are not alone. This is your family. We are the family of God. We encourage and we build up one another. We wait together even for the coming of the Lord and all of us shall be caught up together. When the Lord Jesus shall come, we shall be caught up together. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We are so grateful to God for the family. In difficult times, we encourage one another. When one member rejoices, every member rejoices. When one member suffers, Everybody feels the pain. So brothers and sisters, together, we make a family. Thank God for the family of God. Together, we make a family. So we love the brethren. Continue to love one another as Paul has exhorted us. And the final word in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 28 is Amen. 
Amen stands for what? Agree with God. Move with God. Move with God. And with God. And never ever doubt God. Everybody say, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Come on, give Jesus a big hand. So what are the seven habits of end-time Christians? Serve diligently. They pursue what is good. They have positive attitudes. They live by the Spirit. They rely on God. They read and obey God's Word. And they love the brethren. Amen. ETC, end time Christian, not etc. Huh? End time Christians. Let's be there. Small, uh, these are snippets from the closing admonitions of the Apostle Paul. But when you practice it, when you make it your habit, you will be very, very successful and productive and ready for the return of the Lord. Shall we all stand together?